Today on Erotic Awakening with Dan and Dawn, mind fucks, humiliation, and other hardcore playstyles. Welcome to Erotic Awakening with Dan and Dawn, a weekly view of all things erotic. From BDSM to erotic spirituality, from swinging as a lifestyle to simply fun kink, each week we bring you a diverse offering of erotic and alternative lifestyles in its many forms. This podcast includes frank discussions of highly sexual topics. This podcast is intended for consenting adults over the age of 18. If you are offended by this type of content, we recommend you stop listening right now. Hi, Dan. Hi, Don. Did you know that we, you and I, teach a, uh, a popular workshop called Sensual Humiliation? Mm, we do. I love that workshop. Well, we're not talking about that today. Today we're going to interview Flag. He's the author of a book called The Forked Tongue. It's a uh, matter of fact, let me read this little quote from the book. Here's something you should never do to anyone, and here's exactly how to do it to someone you care about. Flag is the uh, author of the book The Forked Tongue, as well as the co-host of the Power in Practice podcast, and uh, also a nas- national presenter. Nice. We had a good time interviewing him, so, and finding out some more stuff about his book. Seems to be more about the mental aspect of play, which a lot of people won't touch. His book is really uh, interesting. It covers a wide variety of stuff. He starts off with a chapter about protocol and ritual and rules, and then gets right into the hypno- hypno- hypno-fetishism. Mm-hmm. And then gets right into hypnofetishism. <laughs> and then gets right into hypnofetishism. You know, I say I, I always say I'm going to edit this stuff out, <laughs> and and I always forget to, and ends up everyone. Why don't you say that word? Hypnofetishism. Mind fucks. See, I can say fucks just fine. <laughs> Humiliation, play, interrogation, all kinds of good stuff. That interview will be coming up shortly. So, and then. We have coming up a visit to St. Louis. Just, what, five days away from the point where we're recording this? Yep, five days away. So we'll be hopping on a plane on Friday morning and being picked up at the airport at noon and doing Beat Me in St. Louis, which we have not been to before. So we have heard great things about it. Really looking forward to attending. Looking forward, yeah, sure are looking forward to it. And anybody that happens to listen to this and... If you are walking around and you see a couple of people named Dan and Don, you can stop by and say, hey, I've got something to say and put me on your podcast. <laughs> That's much nicer than what I was afraid they were going to say. <laughs> so I like that. We should mention some ways that the people can contact us if they're not going to St. Louis. So, Well, we can be found on Twitter, which is twitter.com, and we're under Dan and Don. And, of course, there's good old email, eroticawakening at bluecatservices.org. We also have a voicemail number. It's 206-309-0054. And, of course, we're on FetLife as well. We have a little group there called Erotic Awakening. So many ways to get a hold of us. So and We love contact, so feel free to call, email. If you have a story to share with us or a comment to make or an idea of something that we can put on the podcast, we're open to ideas. Thank you.
Today we're interviewing Flag. He's an author that lives in New York City and has been a presiding officer of TESS, one of the largest BDSM groups in the world. He uh, teaches locally and nationally, and what brought him on the show today is he just released a book called The Forked Tongue. And we uh, had the opportunity to ask him a couple questions about it. Welcome to uh, the podcast, Flag. Thank you kindly. Right off the bat, book says that you should put it down and walk away. It's uncompromising, it does not reassure, and it does not teach anything a decent person needs to know. It's a BDSM book, but it is not about skill-based BDSM like flogging or rope or that kind of thing. What brought you to want to write a book that was more about the mental aspect of BDSM than another flogging, how-to, or shibari or that sort of book? Well, the answer is included in the question. Another one of those books. They're out there. It's been done. Um, the other thing is, as I've been lecturing and teaching, I've been getting increased response uh, from both the, the private and professional community to psychological instruction and exploration. Um, it's simply not available when it does come up, it comes up in a format of uh, moral judgment and debate. Um, is it right to um, subjecting the, the 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 person who's interested in whatever this is to the uh, to the judgment of the majority of the people around them? This doesn't help. Uh, you know, uh, people who are motivated by this sort of thing tend to feel a little bit outside of things as it is. Um, getting uh, put up as an example of everything that everyone else is doing, thinks is wrong, is not a big help. Um, so I saw a a void. There was a void of instruction, and there was a there was uh, no one putting up a sending up a flare, sending up a signal that we're out here and you're not alone, and you don't have to be ashamed or condemned for who you are or what you're interested in. Very cool. One of the one of the things you mentioned in the book, and, and of course this is one of the big things that comes up when we talk about some of the topics that you have in there, like, uh, like hypnofetishes, is the ethical aspect of it. And of course one of the big words everybody loves in the BDSM community and why this is not abuse is the idea of consent. So when you approach something like the psychological changes, like hypnofetish, certainly consent is, I'm sure, one of the things that people raise a red flag about. Absolutely. Um, people use the word consent as if it's a magic word, as if uh, if you simply mention it enough, everything will turn out okay. Um, it keeps the shadows at bay. It keeps the, the, the boogeyman and safely in the closet and safely under the bed. Um, but there are shades of consent. There are more ideas of consent. The most popularized, safest, generally taught version is that yes simply means waiting to hear no. Um, myself people like me, a lot of people that I associate with and respect, use variants on the idea of uh, blanket consent, on the idea that consent, for example, is given once at the beginning of the relationship 
to revoke consent is not a moment-by-moment, issue-by-issue, pre-negotiated or renegotiated thing. It simply ends the relationship because there are people on both ends of the leash who are interested in a much more genuine, much more potent power dynamic than pretending there is power and being able to retract that power the moment you are uncomfortable. So this sets up a field of landmines, though, doesn't it? It can. It certainly can. I'm not promising that it's easy, that it makes everyone happy, or that it's for everyone. All I'm suggesting is that there are people who are happier that way. Makes sense. So who is this book for? I mean, do you would you recommend it for someone that's just found BDSM and found the as a lifestyle and just getting started? Is it something more suited for veterans, or is that, or do you not perceive it that way as I do not believe one way or the other? really in the newbie. Um, I I think that the newbie, the kind of fluffy bunny, we've got to protect them from the scarier aspects of things, is mythical, and that it's a social construct. Individuals may feel that way, but the idea that there is an entire class of person that needs to be sheltered and mentored and guided by whoever is here already, the key word there is needs. I don't buy that. Um, I have met people who right off the bat are attracted to things that people who have been doing this for 30 years wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole because it's who they are. It's what they're hungry for. That's what they're here for. And to be told, oh, no, you can't do that. That's for big people. That's, That's for better people than you. You should check with people older than you. This is not the answer. When I first came into the scene, I into the public scene, I was looking forward to meeting this sort of mythical Tom of Finland leather man who was going to have all the answers. And then I met people, just people, who were as confused as I was, no matter how long they were in it. Apparently, being at something for 30 years doesn't guarantee you've learned anything. I think a lot of us come into the lifestyle looking for that mythical mentor creature. <laughs> doesn't always exist. I found that uh, that it doesn't exist. If you can find peers, if you can find people who are on a similar wavelength to you and are open to learning from them, and as dominance, there's a real resistance to the idea of peers and to the idea of learning from your neighbors in anything other than a structured class environment. Um, that It's self-defeating. Um, people are so busy posturing and so busy lo- being afraid of looking weak or or not looking as big and puffed up and alpha as the guy next to them, that nobody bothers to get anything done. It's a miracle anything gets learned at all. You have a really interesting chapter about hypnotism and 
humiliation. And have you found when you teach that, that people are surprised that, oh, you know what, we already do that. I didn't realize it. I'd never, I'd never seen myself that way, but we already take some of that, some of that getting deeper into the, in beyond the flesh sort of aspect to their scenes. Well, more often than not, people who come to my lectures are one of two types, either people who are already looking beyond the flesh or people who just think it's interesting or amusing or outrageous. But there's always people there who are there for what I would consider, quote, the right reasons, because they already know there's something more. Humiliation almost always has this reaction from someone in the audience where they go, but that's not humiliation because I like that. Humiliation's bad. I don't like humiliation, but you know, being made to eat off the floor, that's that's just hot. I don't understand. Um, because humiliation has, uh, for many people, a negative connotation and definition. So therefore, the things that they find joy and comfort in cannot be humiliation because humiliation is bad. Um, so one of the things I try and do is reframework the idea of the word um, and re-explore the definitions of the words humiliation, objectification, and degradation so that they can be looked at aside from whatever prejudices or beliefs you're already bringing to the table with you. Um, and that's when people tend to be surprised to realize, oh, yeah, that, I do that. I didn't realize that counted. Um, not so much with hypnotism. People kind of tend to recognize when they're dealing with altered states in their partner or when they're not. A lot of people, however, realize that they've ended up with a partner who slips into trance states and don't know what to do with it. But that that sort of recognition tends to be there. Now, with things like hypnotism, I mean, that requires a high degree of ethics. So, or my belief anyway, I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do with hypnotism. And how do you cover that? I mean, how can you cover the topic of ethics? <laughs> People are either going to have it or, or they're not. Well, and that's the fact right there. First of all, ethics are individual. There is no one set of ethics. People who talk about how everyone should know what ethics are and because everyone should have them mean, well, everyone should think like me. Mm -hmm. Ethics is a very big word and has a lot of connotations. Um, I have my own ethical system. I maintain it because it seems honest to me and it seems to have its own structural integrity and has kept me going so far and it's kept the people under me happy and safe so far. But I can guarantee you it doesn't seem ethical to a lot of people because they simply don't live it and don't agree with it. Um, now, if we start talking about the source of relationships I maintain, as I mentioned, I work in blanket consent you're here, and if so, 
I already have all the consent I need. If you don't want to be here, then I will never touch your mind. It's fairly simple. You're either on or off. You you pay the ticket and take the ride. The ride is not for everyone. It's interesting because we talk in this community a lot about trust, and really it feels like that's what you're talking about. You either trust me or you don't. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In the humiliation chapter, of course, in a humiliation scene, negotiations change. You can't just sit across from each other at a table and say, well, I'd like this and I don't want this, and how about some of this? Because it seems like a good humiliation scene, the way you're explaining it, is going to include a little bit of an element of surprise to the person receiving it. They may not know that they want to lay on to be on the floor eating that dog out of that dog dish like you described earlier. And you talk a lot about watching for responses without actually asking for them. Tell some great stories about that as well. Um, tell us a little bit about that, about negotiating through unspoken negotiations. Hmm. Well, again, um, I'm not actually talking about negotiating. Um, but it's as good a word as any for the for the purposes of the conversation because, again, the relationships I personally maintain, blanket consent, but I am watching. I am looking, observing, accounting. I ask questions. I find out what I want or need to know because the end result of humiliation is not the words coming out of my mouth. That's fetishism on my part. If I need to call somebody a given name, if I need to call somebody Fred, and that's my fetish, all I have to do is find somebody who gets off or doesn't mind being called Fred, and we're done. But if what we're doing is exploring where you can go, how deep you can go, how bloody you can get your hands and still get, in the end, a positive response. Maybe not necessarily in the moment, but in the end, they appreciate you all the more for it. That takes observation. That takes looking for the common threads of the sorts of things that move this person. And unfortunately, as much as I write about it, writing about listening It's like talking about listening. What's the point? People either know how to do it or they don't. I can give the pointers. I can lay out the tools. I can teach technique. I cannot teach talent. So it's, you know, um, I could walk into a garage filled with every machine tool and, 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 necessary, you know, wrench and and screwdriver, hammer, arc welder, and I would still never be able to build a damn thing because I have no talent in those regards. I'm no machinist. I'm no mechanic. I never will be. doesn't matter how good the tools laid out in front of me are. wouldn't even matter if I had a book in front of me. It would still never come out as well as somebody who has talent. So there's some things you can't teach. But when there are people out there who already have the talent and just need a little help clarifying their thinking, Mm 
in a way that they can look at someone and sort through their reactions and uh, create a system so that they can think clearly about it and aren't simply reacting on a moment-to-moment gut basis and relying on talent alone. Those are the people I have something to offer to. I'm looking through the, the chapters of the book, Hypnofetish, Mind Fucks, Humiliation, Conditioning, Interrogation. But you start off with a, a chapter about structure, about protocol and ritual and rules. Why start there? Because, because that was my answer to everyone talks about safety first. Everyone talks about how well you're supposed to treat people and how you're never supposed to... There's a lot of don't do's. I'm never going to talk about that stuff. I'm not that kind of a hypocrite. I I, I certainly do many of the things that are are commonly on the don't do list. Um, As a matter of, of, of... everyday existence Uh, but again ethics are individual if there is anything that I could teach that had any possibility of making the following chapters ethically useful it's the idea that everyone has to understand exactly what the hell they're getting themselves into. Everyone has to be speaking the same language. I am not a fan of contracts for the fetishistic value of the contract. I am not a fan of contracts because true anybody is supposed to have them. If you don't need it, don't have it. But if you are trying to determine where the parameters of your authority start and end, especially if you start dealing in gray areas, if this is new to you, if the person you're with has not issued blanket consent, if you need to be absolutely sure what you have the right to do and that the person under you is absolutely clear about what rights they are granting, and therefore what you can hold them to. Contracts can be useful because they involve both halves of the brain instead of just the creative center. So that's why the entire chapter on contract is get rid of the fluff, don't talk about love, don't talk about forever, don't talk about flowers, lose the rose gifs and the the, the, the colored fonts and just lose all the crap. This should be, when you're done, a little shorter and a little less exciting than real estate law. Okay, I have a question on that one then. Since you mentioned love, I noticed um, one of the things that popped out at me while I was reading that chapter was the thought that love hinders a power exchange relationship. Or that's why I read that line anyway. So thoughts on that? It can. In the end, I believe that people have to make a choice over what comes first, is all. And that choice is appropriate to any given relationship and any given set of people. The real problem is when one person has one set of priorities and the other one has another. So, if I was with someone who, for whom love was more important than structure, 
we would be ill-matched because to them I would be hurtful and callous and they would constantly be asking the question, but if you love me, how can you expect this of me? But you love me, why don't you cut me a break? If someone on the bottom is more interested in structure and a dominant on the top is more interested in love, the person on the bottom is constantly disappointed, is constantly feeling let down because they feel that they are floating in an unstructured environment because they're not invested in the same aspects of the relationship. So it's not a matter of love being excluded. It's not a matter of of structure being excluded. It's a matter of both of you knowing which comes first. When push, push comes to shove, what is your relationship really based on? What are you both here for? If you are both here for love, then you are set. Enjoy yourselves. Do what you're going to do. Build your structure accordingly. But when the bottom line comes, the structure doesn't matter as much because you're going to keep the person you love. If the bottom line is the structure, the structure matters more. When push comes to shove, I am willing to sacrifice the relationship for the structure because the structure comes before love. Soul Hunter once put it to me in a way that really resonated with me, which is, I don't put a collar on everyone I love. I don't love everyone I collar. I can take my collar away from you and still love you. These things are not the same. Confusing them as the same thing is disastrous. Love is ephemeral. It's abstract. It ebbs and flows. It is the complete antithesis of the idea of a dependable structure. Very cool. One one last question for you. Tell me about power in practice. Hmm. Power in practice is a collection of, it started as essays, but it's immediately moved into podcasts and bull sessions as we pull in dominance we respect, people with interesting ideas, as we look for peers and family and bring them in and just we sit around and have our bull sessions about the sorts of things that dominants tend not to talk about in public, the things that they may not be so secure about, the things that actually bug them. Because if dominants are all so busy pretending they've got all got the perfect household, how is anyone going to ever figure out in any sort of a group setting what to do about the problems they have? Everyone's an island. We compare, we contrast, we we make notes, we advise each other, we talk about ideas, we talk about currents in the community, and we talk about currents in our lives. Great. The book is The Forked Tongue. It's available at uh, lulu.com, and uh, I understand soon you'll have it at uh, barnesandnoble.com and borders. Yes, yeah, the revised well. edition will be coming out at, uh, at uh, Barnes & Noble and Borders. We're also working on an audio book, which will have an additional chapter on voice and inflection. Oh, very good. And the uh, podcast you mentioned, Power in Practice, can be found in at powerinpractice.com. Flag, it has been a pleasure speaking with you today. Um, I will 
mention from my own read of this book. I enjoyed reading it, and I, I really like the fact that not only did you talk about theory, but then you talked, you gave us some stories about how you apply that kind of stuff. Uh, that's always it's it's great to hear people talk about the theoret theory behind how they approach things. But when you're actually telling a story, and here's how I got there, and here's what I did, and actually, uh, then you'll like the book I'm working on right now. Tell us about that one. The uh, the working title right now is the Patchwork Dominant. And it is exactly that. It's a collection of stories and anecdotes, my own and those of others, uh, about the things we've been through and the scars we bear and the harder lessons we learned, um, the more difficult things. Again, those things that people don't talk about. Very cool. If people want to get a hold of you, Flag, how can they do that? Um, they can contact me at flag at foolish dash house f o o l i s h dash h o u s e or leave a message at power and practice great fantastic thank you very much for coming on the show and talking to us about your book the fork tongue thanks for having me this was great do you have a podcast event book or product you'd like to promote on erotic awakening We'll be happy to help spread the word. Toss us an email at eroticawakening at bluecatservices.org. Coming up next week, a book review with Lady Di and the first of many interviews from Beat Me in St. Louis. Bye, Don. Bye, Dan. Music heard on Erotic Awakening, Free by White Knight, Strawberry Jam by Jerry Bradley, and Wanda by 31D1 is provided from the Podshow Podsafe Network. More information can be found at music.podshow.com.